Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a content creator, actor, podcast host, software project manager, and entrepreneur. It's Nicholas Nectali. How are you doing today, Nicholas? Doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to learn more about your rise to the challenge. First thing we'd like to do with all of our guests is go straight to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Oh, man. I'm from Victorville, California. That's where I was born. Um, I think some of the biggest things that played into uh, how I grew up were the friends that I chose. So I think a lot of my my personality, my characteristics, and maybe a lot of my mindset is based around the friends that I surrounded myself with. Um, I have four older siblings, but we have a huge age gap, wildly big. Like the oldest is 16 years older and then 14, 12, then 10. And then there's me way down there. So I had this weird kind of like the benefits of having siblings, but also like the pros of being an only child, like a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I, I, at least I hope I was able to quickly learn from their mistakes since they had the whole life kind of already lived. And then I kind of picked up the pieces. So that's kind of where I started is what I would say. You talked about your personality depended on the friends that you're around. What kind of characteristics were you looking at in your friends that you were hoping that you would be groomed into in a way? I think the biggest thing for me was I always appreciated mental toughness and uh, strong integrity. So, for example, one of the guys that (laughs) I ended up living in a car with, uh, he's my best friend. We've been best friends since seventh or eighth grade, but we both ran on the cross country team and I'm not a cross country guy. That was not my sport. It was a baseball, basketball kind of guy, but he was like, come on, it'll be fun. And like, he would inspire me in a way of like, like, we would write Bible verses on our arms and like always try to be the people that would, you know, shake, shake the competitors hands and say, Hey, like be genuinely happy for the other person. If they, if they succeeded, um, and I remember this one race where there was a kid on our team and we were competing to be on varsity. It was like, and the next race, that's how it was. If you got in the top seven, you could be on varsity for the next race. And the next race was the only reason cross country was worthwhile. It was at a tournament where they would give free massages, you know, the free backpacks, like Gatorade on deck, like stuff Victorville doesn't get, you know, like, <laughs> so I was, I was geared up to try to try to be on that. And I was like six or seven minutes behind this kid. And um, I bombed a hill real hard, sprinted the last seven minutes, nearly threw up at the end. But that was just one of those things that my, my friends would encourage me to do. Like go all out, be, be, be as uh, ambitious as you can be. So I think that's what I really was trying to take from them growing up. You talked about mental toughness, participating in cross country. That was basically your mental toughness because it wasn't a sport that you were kind of maybe interested in at first or you weren't ready to go out fully for, but you kind of took it as an advantage to be with your friends, but also try something new. Because a lot of times players or athletes use running sports as a way to condition to prepare for their season. Yeah, then I uh, I think that's true, true for me as well because I not like I enjoyed running in. We have we have the Mojave River up there, and it's just sand. We're doing sprints in sand. Why are we doing sprints in sand? That's it's unnatural. The race isn't in sand, but it, you know it makes you better. Um, and I also think that played into a big part of my my baseball career because I I was a big big baseball guy. I loved baseball, and that game is completely mental. And the part about I was a pitcher and the part about being mentally tough is when you're pitching in a baseball game, it's it's all mental. It's you and the batter. Um, and I, I've had here's an example of me having really poor mental fortitude and then hopefully some better ones. My first poor mental fortitude while I was pitching was I watched that. Um, what's his name? Coach Kent Murphy. Did you ever watch those videos? he's like this ridiculous character of what a baseball coach should be. And he tells everybody don't bunt like never, never bunt. And if somebody bunts while you're pitching, you beat them, you hit them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. And I was young and I was influenceable 
And I took this to heart. And there was a game. Oh, man. I beamed 17 people because they tried to bunt. <laughs> I threw the ball at 17 kids. And it, we lost. We got blown out because they figured it out every time they tried to bunt. And that was terrible. It was a terrible example of <laughs> being mentally strong. But on the flip side, I think, you know, in, in the game of baseball, there's um, like if you're in a rhythm, they're trying to get you out of your rhythm. So I remember times where there would be batters up there that would tell the umpire to, to freeze the game, you know, hold on, they'll step out of the box. And then I would step off the step off the mound. Now talk to the shortstop for five minutes, the second baseman, 10 minutes, freeze the batter right back. You know, and that's, I feel like that's part of the mental toughness that kind of comes into play. Like if someone or life is going to give you something that you're not prepared for, or they're trying to get you off your rhythm, you stick it right back to them or in the, in the most, you know, kindest and integrity way possible, but you don't back down from when something challenging is going to come at you. Talk about any motivations or inspirations you had growing up. Did you have like an idol or someone that you inspired to be or something that you wanted to be? I think my biggest influencer growing up was my brother. Um, he, he stepped up my, my, my dad had a weird, interesting play in my life where he wasn't there all the time, but my brother really stepped into that role. And um, he was a man of actions for sure. So like when it counted to be there, he would be there when it, when it, he was, he was always generous and willing to give. Um, and I think the other big inspiration that I had was I, I spent a lot of time in the church and i don't mean like i grew up in the church i just mean like i said my friends grew up in the church and i wanted to be with my friends and i was always inspired by the selflessness of it and how people could utilize their skills for the sake of others that was always really inspiring to me so i always wanted to find out what areas of my life were my strongest suits that I could then hopefully influence someone to have, you know, maybe more inspiration, more motivation, or just get through the day. I think one of the things that I went through and I'm going off here, so we're doing it. Uh, one of the things that happened to me while I was growing up is I had this, uh, I had this, I don't know what the right word is spill this time where I became really, really depressed. Um, I had, and I'm sure many people have probably faced something like this where I had a pastor that, was kind of mean to me and not, but not very kind. And I was very young and I was like, man, this guy's a hypocrite. I don't even know if I want to believe in God anymore. This is what it looks like. And I, and I fell into a depression and I, you know, suicidal, the whole, the whole works. But once I was able to find a way out of it, like that was a whole nother motivation for me to be like, okay, I'm sure other people also deal with these emotions or, or challenges and if I can do anything to give back, to, to give to them, to get through the day and share something with them, I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to try to figure it out and I'm going to give it to them. So how did you get through that depression? Was there someone or was it kind of a challenge in your mindset and being able to break through those barriers? Alex, you're a great question asker. I swear you got it going on. Uh, <laughs> I think it came down to a decision, honestly, um, because there's a point where you kind of have to ask yourself, you know, is this the life that I want to live? Do I want to be a part of this world or do I not? And what does that look like? And I'll tell you why it came to that decision for me is because I was in the middle and the worst place, the worst place you could be is in the middle of two decisions, because let's say, you know, I was, I was battling with whether to fully be a Christian and believe in this or to not. And like, do, do I, do I go for simple temporary pleasures because I can get joy quickly, you know, whether that be an escape of alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be, or do I even go for, you know, the other side of salvation, which is more eternal long-term joy, but I couldn't decide. So I'm stuck in the middle. So I get no joy. I don't get anything from either side. I'm just miserable. And so how I came out of it was kind of making the decision like, okay, I can rededicate my life to God or I can 
end it. And um, I ultimately found that there's there's people in our lives for a reason and there's things in our life for a reason. And I think just knowing that someone cared about me, even if it was one person, because I remember the same best friend I'm talking about, I was telling him, I was like, hey, man, like I might, this might be it for me. And he looked in my eyes and he was crying, like tearing up, like, I love you. Why would you ever do that? Like, I care about you. And so just knowing like there are people in this world, in this lifetime that care about me and care about you specifically, that kind of turned the tables for me to say, okay, let me reevaluate and keep going. I think there's always that saying, everything happens for a reason. Like you mentioned, there's always those people that come into your life at that specific time or eventually in the future. And sometimes there's those times where you go through stages where maybe that friend won't go on that journey with you, but Mm -hmm. it's always a way that we are all rising through the challenge, even if we don't even know that we are. Going through that time where you're able to express to your friends, did anyone know that you're going through this at that time? Or you're kind of keeping it into yourself before you're able to express it? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think community resolves a lot of the depression issues that that come up. And I was fighting an internal battle and I was keeping it to myself. And I and I think the biggest lie that I was telling myself is that I was going to be a burden to somebody else if I told someone, which which isn't true. That's totally not true. And I think that's where a lot of misery happens is in our own heads. And we let things simmer. And then the worst part about it is we grow to resent ourselves and resentment leads to hatred. And then before we know it, we hate ourselves and it, it spirals out of control. Now we hate ourselves so much. We don't want to admit to somebody else that we hate ourselves because what if they hate us too? And then I don't want to feel worse. And it's this weird ongoing thing. But if I had to say it like, you know, some like a a few things that also helped me without making this big decision for anybody who's like struggling with this, it doesn't have to be a big decision. I think choosing something that you like to do or that you're good at and doing it as often as you can, I think that's a big one. And two, to, to your point of don't, don't let it simmer inside of you. Tell people, tell one person, tell two people, find someone trustworthy. And that sounds so cliche. And I don't even like going to people. I'll be honest. I got pride, but it's so worth it. Like the vulnerability that, that you can bring into a relationship only makes them stronger. And I, I, that's, I still to this day neglect that. And I wish I did more, more, more vulnerability. Growing up, what was that dream job that you're wanting? We all have that. We want to be this or that. But what path were you on? Man, when I was when I was 17, I wanted to be a professional athlete, professional baseball player. But then by the time 19 came around, my backup plan was always to be Jimmy Fallon's number two guy. You know, have a mentor me and be ready to be the next Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> but really. I've always wanted to be um, a a talk show host, which is kind of like what what we're doing right here. You know, it's the same thing Um, because I think, you know, people's stories are so valuable. And so I don't want to say underrated, but maybe like the ones that aren't heard and you're like, wow, you have an amazing story. Everyone should know this. I'm so inspired by that. Um, That's always been really appealing to me. So definitely a talk show host. Were you doing anything to kind of lead you into that direction of a talk show host? Or it was just the idea of following in those footsteps of Jimmy Fallon? So that's a good, wow, man, you are fantastic, Alex. I can't say it enough. So I did start um, getting into acting probably around 16 years old. um, And I was doing auditions through LA Casting. and my first taste was getting absolutely wrecked on a Vivo super fan show. I was a big fan of Ariana Grande and I auditioned and I got it. And then I just got smoked, blown out of the water on all the trivia. Little did I know there are some people go in on Ariana Grande. They know some stuff. I did it. I got blown out of the water. Um, but as time has gone on, I have taken more steps to become better at 
trying to to get into the talk show world. I, I've studied at the Groundlings for a little bit, and then I've also been acting training for the past, like going to a studio for the past three and a half years now. And exactly what you're doing. I got a podcast. So all those little things add up. And I, you know what? Let's just let's just dive right in. Let's go another one. Like, since we're on the topic of trying to do things, if anybody's out there feeling very frustrated about the path they're on to get somewhere, every little thing counts. My goodness. Like we're doing a podcast right here, and both of us are getting experience to be even better talk show hosts and and guests and entertainers. And then I, I remember there was times when I was 12 years old making terribly embarrassing videos in my backyard that now play a part in, you know, the, the, the content and the films and the videos that I like to create. So it's a little piece. There's a little nugget. Well, to go off of your story and kind of with mine growing up, I always wanted to be a game show host. I always loved game shows. Um, I actually interviewed one of my game show idols on here. So it was kind of like, wow, I, I just want to do that. So we talked about the little steps and doing things to lead up to that. I was putting on events in college and one of the events was a game show night. And I Whoa. was of it. And so we did all these games and I'm like, even if I never make it to the big times, I, I fulfilled my dream doing this. And this show kind of, or was kind of in the way a lead up to that next step also, because I was looking at a time during last year and figuring out what do I want to do? Like, this is a perfect opportunity to try something new, a new opportunity. And it came about and there's no regrets. And I continue to do that. And the support that I get is the best feeling ever because I know I'm making a difference, even if it's one person. One person mm-hmm. can sit and learn something from us talking. That's a huge accomplishment. In that next path that you're going to be a talk show host or going in that direction, well, first back up. Is the kind of the stereotype of living in California always trying to be in the film TV industry? Like I want, I need to be an actor or something like that. Because I feel like a lot of people that come from there, they want to be in the spotlight. Man, that's a great question. I I don't think so. I think if you're pulling from LA and they start calling it the industry, that's when you know. Every <laughs> that's when you know they're really in the circle of trying to make it into Hollywood. But most of the people I grew up with didn't have that that drive to to do that. Um and I think even here, I'm in San Diego now, and I think most of the people I meet aren't that's not on their radar, which is, which is actually, it's pretty interesting. I think people either super gung ho in California for Hollywood, or they're like, I want nothing to do with it, which I mean, they come for the weather and they stay, but (laughs) they don't, they don't always find themselves in Hollywood, but there are, I will give you that. There are a lot of people, like if you go in LA, I would say 65, 70% of those people are trying to make it in something. Yeah, I, are you going to make your way out here? Is that is that next? Is that what I'm hearing? Taxes are too high in California. <laughs> I hear that all the time. And I will say the weather is very nice. I plan on coming to California for like vacations, but that's about it. What there you go. pursuit of education that you're going through for college? I went to college to get a degree in software engineering. Um, but my, I went to a... Then, like, com- completely different way way out of there well i i had this like grand grand scheme idea that i would land a software engineering job head to la and then i'd you know be able to have a job that supports my dreams as i pursued them which is i guess not a terrible idea because yeah yeah from, from what i've seen i haven't regretted it but from what i've also seen it's like a lot of people go to school with the dreams of making it into a creative field but not having a degree to support them. And then they end up in a career that's unfortunate. Um, but I, yeah, I went to uh, Cal Baptist to get a software engineering degree and it was super expensive. So I had to double down extra hard. And as soon as, <laughs> as soon as I found out how much the tuition was, I was like, okay, I need to graduate early. I can't be staying here for too long. This is, this is intense. So I 
so I started doubling down and I 18 units the whole semesters and I got out of there with three years, which I'm pretty stoked about. Um, and then I still had 60 K to my name, which you try to win them and you can't win them all. Let me tell you that. The reason for you going to try to get it done early, was that the mental toughness of knowing what was going to come next once you got that $60,000 piece of paper? Oh man. I think, <laughs> I think that's some of it. I think like, just like the whole, the whole podcast, right? So the challenge, I think I wanted to feel challenged and like, can I do this? Can I get done in three years? Like, I know it's a hard, difficult major, but can I just bang it out real quick? Like, I want to know. And then the other thing is, I, I was hearing horror stories of, of the debt that people accrue. And I was like, I, I want this college experience, but I don't want to have to pay something for the for the rest of my life. So I was trying to get in and get out quick. But to your point, I do think there is a lot of that. And my my two closest friends, they went to the same school and they're a year earlier. So it, all the more incentive for me to have a reason to graduate early is to graduate with them. So I had a lot of incentives pushing me toward doing it, but I definitely will say having the mental fortitude to actually put it into play was crucial because it's like, who wants to take 18 units every semester? No one. That's not, who wants to do that? So yeah, it's definitely the mental fortitude part of it. Did you have any challenges with college? Were you doing things outside of going to classes or were you just focused on the schooling basically? I feel, man, now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like I'm kind of a workaholic at this point. Jeez, <laughs> God, I'm gonna have to go to therapy or something. Um, I was doing more. Uh, most of the time I had one, if not two jobs and then an internship going at the same time, which is, which was, not it was good it was great experience and i was at the age where i could do it with enough energy but i was not sleeping like i should really but uh yeah i ended up getting my personal training certificate i worked for this like marketing firm for a little bit i was a web developer for big church for a little bit and i the only thing i remember about that internship was i would bring huge tubs of spaghetti and the guy next to me he was old he would turn around and say spaghetti again huh only time I talked to anybody, the whole internship was him asking me about my spaghetti. So I did a lot and I think it was all, all worthwhile. Um, cause it eventually led to the, to the job. But, um, yeah, I think, you know what, I got some really interesting advice on my way out of college that, uh, has kind of resonated with me. So I was applying for jobs as you do, you know, graduations around the corner trying to get prepped on it and i remember going into my career center and i was i was always in there trying to get my resume you know looking spick and span and i was applying for jobs and i felt like i was doing a lot i was applying to 100 jobs a day yeah about 100 jobs a day and i went in there and i was like hey like i feel like i'm gonna get a good degree my gpa is good but i'm not getting anything i'm getting nothing and he goes the, the head of the career center goes well how many jobs are you applying to a day I was like about a hundred. He said, come back to me when you're doing a thousand a day. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what in the world? A thousand jobs a day. That's insane. And I don't know if he, he said that to me because he knew I'd be like, Oh, I got to do a thousand now. Or if it was like genuinely, he would have said it to anybody, but I went back and I, I pounded, I think 3,700 job applications by the time I was done. I only got like 30 callbacks. Just a ter terrible ratio. But I, the on the theme of mental fortitude, that was some advice that is that has definitely stuck with me because with anything like like even with my own podcast, I think about, you know, like uh, how many podcasts you put out a week? I'm like, oh, I'm putting out, you know, one put out two or like, you know, or ha how many guests are you reaching out to every week? And I'm like, oh, you know, maybe like 30, 35. What if you did 100? And I feel like that is really, really stuck with me for better or for worse. But I was really challenged by that. See, the problem is, is if you reach out to a hundred and then they all say yes, now you're trying to book a hundred. <laughs> now, and I've had those moments. Like, there's been times where I'm putting out two because I get so many, and I'm like, I want to do them and keep me busy. And yeah. I, the podcast has always been something happy, like mm -hmm. something to escape from 
not a reality in a way. It's kind of like something fun that I'm passionate about. But the job market is so hard because the talk is always about you have to have these requirements just to mm-hmm. do and I always look at I'm street smart than book smart because I can learn mm-hmm. job while doing it than what I learned in class because I'm a sports management major and half the stuff's business. It's like, what are you going to tell mm-hmm. me in the sports world that I don't know already in the business world? Yeah. You talked about a lot of different things that you were involved in. And did you have a hard time committing to something or were you just wanting to try anything and see what sticked? Yeah, I think, I think I'm not afraid of committing to things. I think I commit to too many things and then I overwork myself. But um, I was just reading a book about this and my strategy is try to do as much as you can. And exactly to your point, see, see what I actually like, because, you know, the same thing with having like dreams from a kid of being a talk show host. And at, to your point, getting to do game night, it's crazy. Cause like you get to do game, the game show event and it fulfills you. And you're like, wow, I thought I'd have to be at the top for this to happen, you know, for me to feel this way. And I kept trying to search for the things that would make me have that feeling that you had of like, wow, I'm, I'm jazzed up on this. Like, I don't care if I'm not getting sleep because this is the stuff I like. Um, and I think I've done more of that outside of college because inside of college, it was all about figuring out a way to make enough money to eat for the week and then secure the job post, post-college. And it was all, software engineering is not my passion. I'll tell you that straight up. <laughs> like, like, interacting with people is, is key to, for me to, you know, either feel alive and feel like I'm making an impact on others. And software engineering doesn't always have that. Um, but as far as trying everything and making things stick, I almost think that's a necessity. And I think more people should not be afraid of trying to do that because what do you have to lose? The more things you try, the more things you might like, and that's a good thing. And then you can actually go down the the path that you would really truly believe is meant for you. Because I think those rare cases of, you know, the, the child prodigies who came out and they were playing piano since six, six years old. And now they're writing symph- symphonies. I don't know if that's how music works. I'm just throwing it out there. I, I imagine that isn't the normal path for everyone. Not saying there is a normal path, but I imagine you have to, try things out to see what you actually like and you and we can't be afraid to do that and even in some of my my group that i've you know seen around in my same age they they're afraid they're afraid to try new things because they're afraid of being seen as one either as a person that doesn't know what they want or two feeling dumb for trying something new that's silly that's not a good way to live life right have fun go for it so post-college, you talked about from going from that internship to a full-time job, what was the mindset you were going through getting that job? And talk about that journey at that position. Mm. Man, the mindset I was going for is <laughs> find, a, find, a, find a good job that's going to be sustainable long-term. And the other thing I really wanted to get right was it wasn't about salary for me as much as it was about being at a place I actually wanted to be at. Um, Cause software engineering ha- has the potential to be lucrative right out of college. And I saw offers my friends were getting and they're getting, you know, 75, $80,000 offers. And most of the ones I was going forward, you know, low sixties, 55, because it was more like either supporting a cause or, or, you know, the cultural, the culture of the job was more beneficial for knocking it out. Um, as far as the steps I took in order to land the job, um, I reached out to my career center. If you're in college, do that. I had some, I had a lot of people peer review my resume. Every time I applied somewhere and they said, no, I always followed up, said, what, you know, what the heck is wrong with me? What don't you like? Am I a weirdo? Is that what's, is that what the issue is? Do I have to work on my personality? And then also just like do mock interviews, do lots and lots of mock interviews to have people like 
because the majority until you get to the technical side they ask the same questions so that's what i that's how i went about securing it and i ended up at the um department of defense out here in san diego doing software for them learning more about you going through your profile you talked about you were going through a lot at the department of defense i know you probably can't go into full details about what was going on but how did that play in a personal struggle or a personal challenge when you were going through all that oh man let's give some deets why not why not you know i'm with alex here gotta give the deets um <laughs> so when i came out of college i uh I, I shacked up in a 1986 chevy suburban because i wanted to pay off my loans as quickly as i could save money by living in a car lower the expense and even on the first day that i got to the dod i <laughs> i was working and then i got a phone call and they're like yeah they sent the dogs to sniff out your car they think there's a bomb or drugs in it there's a bunch of wires because i had i had these water jugs that would come down to like fill the sink and they were they had dogs sniffing that right away and so as time went on the government is very um i'm by the way full support all about it but i will say they're very bureaucratic in how they do things and they're very by the book and it's very square i would say you know like this is how we do things and this is why we do things this way and there's not a lot of room for creativity or maybe something new and a guy living in his car is something new and i did not admit it to anybody i never said a word but um as time went on and i kept showing up in the same car that has curtains all around it and a box on top for storage it became pretty apparent that something may be up and i got my manager called me in and great guy saved me the only guy that was rooting for me because people were like this guy's living in his car he's probably a bum you know he's probably a mooch get him out of here my manager called me in and he's like so we're in a predicament here he's like i love putting out youtube videos he's like somebody saw your youtube videos and uh, submitted you to the higher ups. They think you're a beach bum and that you are stealing from the government. And that's that's a pretty, pretty big offense, right? And I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> I didn't say a word. And he's like, all I need to know is you can give me an address that you live at. And I didn't have one, but I had a friend that lived in the same city. And I was like, all right, let me text my friend. You know, texted the guy the address. And he's like, okay. He's like, I need you to tell me that you may sometimes sleep in your car because you like to wake up early and go surf. I was like, of course. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. I sure do. And he's like, okay, okay, we can work with this. And as the week went on, they audited my emails. They audited my text messages. They audited, audited my messages from work. They automated, audited my time cards. Every piece of work I had ever done for the government, they ciphered through and tried to see if because i was working 60 80 hours a week because i was trying to pay off my loans putting in that work they're trying to see if i was legit and it was like painstakingly long like a week or two weeks of just getting investigated every day and so we're going into it <laughs> and so i was dating this i dated this girl in college and we had broken up right and so she's going to europe to uh, study abroad and she randomly hits me up and she's like, hey, I don't have a place to put my car, Toyota Corolla. I'm going to leave it with you. I'm living in a car. What am I going to do with another car? Right. And so now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. So her friend drives it to where I'm parked and parks this car and leaves me the keys. And I'm like, oh, man, now I'm really now I'm really in some stuff here, right? And so so I drive the Toyota Corolla to Walmart. I run eight miles back to my burb, drive that to Walmart, and I go into work the next day in a Toyota Corolla. So now they're thrown off. And they're like, how can this guy live in a car if he's bringing in a Toyota Corolla now? You know, this guy, there's no way he can live in a car with two cars. Boom. Blew their minds. So for a week, I drove the Toyota Corolla in. And they never suspected a thing. It did not blow over, 
but it definitely got them off of my back from having to investigate me every day. So that's that was one of the initial struggles that I had with the Department of Defense. During this time, was there ever the goal, as you were talking about paying off the debt and making sure that you were debt free, did you ever think about maybe getting a place that's maybe low cost so that you're not sleeping in your car every day? Yeah, I think as soon as the investigation went down, everyone I knew said, you got to pack it up. Like, you're being ridiculous. This is, <laughs> you're getting under some real heat and you got to bounce. Um, and I said, that's not happening. Because <laughs> I feel like I set this goal of paying off 60K and I wanted it in a year. And I was going to do whatever it took. I didn't care if they, if I got fired and I had to get another job, I was willing to risk it. If I got found out that I was, living in the car, I would have, I would have said, I, I do good work. You're going to fire me because just because of my living situation, that's, that's wild. But the pressure was definitely on. And that definitely would have made life a lot easier had I gotten a place, but I don't think I would have gotten the same results. And I think there's something to be said that I've, that I've learned as I reflect on it, that no matter what, if you set the goal and you stick the course, no matter what, you'll get there a lot faster. And there's also, and to what we talked about earlier of trying to see what sticks, throwing everything on the wall, there is, I almost feel like an exponential amount of growth going all in to one thing and risking it all. Because that was a huge risk that I was going to get busted. And I don't know, I thought I was going to go to jail. I don't know what the consequences were. I was branded to the government. But having just said, no, I'm going to keep doing this and I'm not going to give them an inch. I think that also played a part in why I was able to pay them off in the, the rate that I paid them off. So you're completely debt-free now. Debt-free. Made it out in 11 months. So if you got it done in 11 months, but you just mentioned earlier that you're still living in the car. Yeah. What, what <laughs> were you kind of comfortable in that setting and you're like, well, if I'm living in my car, I can explore more. I can go do more. Or what is that mindset you've had? I think it's really, um, and I, there is, you know what? You know what they don't show you on Instagram? They don't show you them showering in, in gyms. They don't show you not eating that night because you're scared in the Walmart parking lot that somebody's going to catch you for cooking sketty or, you know, whatever your, your, your dinner is for that night. Um, but I, <laughs> I think I really like the, um, there's time to think. And I, I, I think as with more distractions coming out, there's a few rules in the burb of like, there's no social media whenever you're in it. Like when you're, when you're going to go to bed, you're in it, you're hanging out, don't go on social media. And that's, that's big. And I think allowing those things, thoughts to be in and allowing solitude and being comfortable with myself in here has really given me some not perspective but maybe even like a confidence that hey I'm by myself I'm making things happen I see nice things and also my my back to my friends they're a huge support support of it so it's always fun they come down they feel like they're camping I feel like I'm living my normal life but I, I, I do I do agree with you that it does feel comfortable. But I'm not gonna be here forever. I hope I get out soon. I'm not gonna be in this in this burb for the rest of my life. That's too much. Did you mention that you had a roommate with you? I did. Yeah. I lived with another guy in here for for eight months, nine months, maybe ten, ten months. And uh man, that was that was exciting to say the least. You almost need like one of those like minivans or the um, what I my, one of my friends that literally is talking about going on a Colorado trip in one of these. They look like work vans, but they it's basically like pimp my ride the back part <laughs> and everything. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to picture your car and how big it is, and like I would be like, nope, I I can't do this. Like I need like an RV to be able right. To everything but i think it shows the toughness and it goes back to mental toughness that you're able to have to 
be on that path and rise to the challenge in the goals that you set for yourself. And you're going to do whatever it takes to do it. If it And you look at the people that they can't live without those materialistic items. You don't have that luxury, but you're living a life that's comfortable for you and you're happy with what you are. And those people, mm. they get upset if they don't have their cell phone at 100% full charge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm upset, but I'm <laughs> simplistic in trying to use things in multiple ways. But it just shows how society is nowadays, where I think people want everything, but when they get it, they don't use it. And it kind of goes mm. to the rest in a way. Yeah. And to your point, like I think something that has been crucial of not having too much material close to my heart is gratitude changed for me. Like gratitude changed a lot moving into the verb. Like all of those things that, that you mentioned, like having my phone at a hundred percent, like I was more concerned about like, Hey, I haven't called a couple of my friends lately. And now I like, since I'm thinking about them, I'm going to call them and I'm going to say, Hey, I appreciate you. Or even, even in the midst of that investigation, I was like, you know, I'm really grateful for this experience. I'm really grateful that, you know, I'm, I'm getting a steady paycheck that's helping me reach my goals. Like it is, it is the weirdest thing when we change from a, a mindset of lack of to like, I don't want to say too much, but like just being grateful. And I think the weird misconception that maybe a lot of like entrepreneurs or super ambitious people face is that being grateful means you're content with not progressing. And I think that's, those are very different things. I can be super grateful for being in the burb, you know, getting to talk to you, just being alive, taking a breath and still want more for my life. I think those are, that is a fine thing to do. It's not an either or you can have both. And I think that's like a little missing piece that some people miss out on. To talk about your show as a podcast host, what's the theme and what's the mission you're trying to share with the listeners? Ooh, I think our, well, the tagline is to encourage, educate, or entertain. So you're going to get one of those three every time you tune in. And a lot of it is trying to pick the brains of people that are much smarter than me, that have way more expertise and can shed some light on most of the problems I have in my life. Or in, in business sense, usually what it is, um, entrepreneurial. But I don't think I've ever said this out loud or in any podcast before. But And maybe I would love to hear your strategy on this. My strategy as, from a host perspective is um, always making the guest like, feel good. If the guest feel good, feels good, I always feel like the episodes are much, you know, much more valuable for everybody that's listening. What, what's your take? What's your strategy? So I think it always goes back to the initial um, kind of the pre-part when you're trying to look for that guest and showing that you are very interested in what they've gone through. And it kind of goes back to how I reached out to you as I'm reading this profile and I'm just, wow, I need to know more and I want to know more and I'm going to do anything to get you on the show. And I think you start with that. And then when we were emailing and you're so pumped, it gets me more excited because you're excited to be on and be able to share. But during the interview, I think it's one of those, I kind of, I'm not, it's a way I analyze in a way, but I'm very like trying to get different perspectives and different sides of what they're talking about because mm. I have them coming out of the interview saying, wow, I didn't really think about it that way. To me, I did mm-hmm. a job in a way without knowing their story in full. So just being engaged and asking those questions and wanting to learn more, I think it's the best way to make that guest feel important and special for that certain amount of time they're on. I agree. And you do a killer job of it. I'll tell you that right here, right now. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I I don't. I guess the thing I would say is if somebody's coming to listen to the show, they're, they, they'll at least know that all, like you're saying, all the, the prep work and all of the, the intentionality. And that's the thing I would, I would never want for my show is to someone feel like, oh, well, they kind of just threw that together. I didn't really feel like there was a lot of thought 
before that. Like, I, I really want someone to listen to the show and be like, wow, like, like you're saying, they did the prep work. They really, they really engaged with the guests and they really tried to get as much value from them for the listener and also like give enough to the, to the guest. So, yeah. I think it's also, even if you have like a guest that people know about, and I've had mm. guests where people know about this person, but they say one thing that they've never told anyone like, oh, I got the inside scoop or something, but it makes you think totally different, not totally different in a bad way about that person, but you kind of learn more about their journey and their rise to the challenge. And I think it was one of my earlier ones. He mentioned something, but he was a game show host, but I never would have thought he would have done that. And then he tells me he went out for a part for Chan, uh, I think it was Chandler or maybe it was Joey, one of the friends characters. And I'm Whoa. like, no. And it <laughs> blew my mind and it just made it feel more special. Like he was not saving it for the show, but he wanted to make it special and for people to watch. And I think it's just the, obviously the guest is the important factor, but also you have to kind of have that fun conversation. If it's just one-sided to me, a listener is not going to enjoy it. It's basically a monologue in a way. That's why I've never yeah. made an episode. Well, I have done an episode where it's just, me, <laughs> but no one likes that. I mean, I didn't even like it at first. <laughs> So it, it just depends. But when you're looking at a guest for your show, is there certain criteria you're looking for? Like have they had to excel for a certain amount or you're one of those that you want to take anyone because everyone has different levels of experience, but everyone can make an impact and share their side of their story. Yeah, I think something that I've always tried to hold myself accountable to is be willing to interview anyone. And I mean that in regards to like, like, I think like there's, there's parts of like very extreme religious people that have tendencies that don't want to be involved with, you know, someone who's been in a particular industry or something like that. I never want there to be a a barrier or a line in the sand of like, okay, I can't talk to that type of person. There is no that type of person. I want to talk to everybody. That's a crazy you know, crazy story they have. And as far as criteria goes, I think, I mean, your, your podcast is the perfect, perfect theme for it. But anybody that's gone through something and has a, a perspective on, on either life or how they do things. And I think even, I would say even experts in things, whether it, they don't have to have a story of, you know, they went to college, but then they got shot and then they turned into a doctor or something like that. It's like, even the hard work of becoming an expert at something. I want to know about that. I want to know how your, your strategies to get there. So maybe that's another thing is like, they have found something that works for them that might work for other people. And I think something that I've seen repeatedly, and at least in my research is at least when I try to do my research, I like seeing patterns in people. Like I like seeing like, if somebody, because Facebook, man, people posted a lot in seventh grade, eighth grade, and they don't remember those posts. I love digging those up. Like if somebody posted, oh, coach was the worst today. I'm so mad. And then in 11th grade, they're like, coach is an idiot. He should have put me in when they played college ball or whatever. And I could come in with a question like, hey, seems like you've always had a hard time with authority. Where do you think that stemmed from? That's a way better question than heard you didn't get along with your coach. You know, and it's like, I think patterns in people are also really, really fun. Um, but as far as criteria goes, definitely, definitely somebody that has a has a perspective on something or they figured out something. And I also think that there's a lot more than what says on a piece of paper or in a bio. And I think that's where you're able to learn even more. And why did they say that certain thing on that bio or on that piece of paper? You talked about your dream was to be Jimmy Fallon's stunt double or in a way. <laughs> um, have you been still pursuing that path? I have. And I think um, the podcast 
has definitely contributed in like getting the interview skills down. And I've made the YouTube channel where I did a lot of interviews. And then just this past year, I've dedicated a lot of time to understanding the craft of acting. My goodness, that's that stuff is <laughs> that that is a lot harder than I anticipated it to be. It is a very vulnerable craft. Oh my gosh. You're on stage with somebody and you have to like emote. And I don't know about you, but emotions aren't always that fun for me to bring into life, whether it's fake or not. And um, I, I, I feel like I've spent the last year of auditioning a lot and, and getting really small gigs, whether good or bad. Um, but really a lot of it has come down to like, being open to being vulnerable in, in front of the camera, in front of other people. And I think that's even helped with, with podcasting or all of this stuff, because now when I watch TV shows, you can, for me, I can really see which actors are connected because the best actors, they're not faking it. And that sounds weird. Like everybody thinks, you know, they're all faking it. They're all, they're just really good liars. I've tra- I've changed my whole perspective perspective on that. I think actors that can come in there and live as that character. You know, if something I just watched a show where terrible. I just watched a show where like the big sister accidentally let a toddler snort cocaine. Terrible. T- yeah, well, well there, but she was sh- she cried her eyes out, you know? Like you could see the pain on her. And I think there's a misconception of like it's falsified, but I've learned doing the the dirt of it's not like putting yourself in the shoes of like, what if I was that kid's big sister? And what if I accidentally gave him cocaine? And then what if that was my real life? How would I really be? That's what I've spent a lot of the last year trying to figure out. So I've learned a lot about empathy through it for sure. Have you had any roles that people wouldn't maybe like in a movie or a TV or on stage that people would probably recognize? nowadays or has it been very small and not at a high level yet it's been very small and not at a high level and i am i i'll just i am okay with that i think there's at least in the acting world there's this there's half of the people that really want to be good at acting and then there's the other half of people that really want to be hey i'm the guy from this and you know me because now i have this fame and recognition and that makes me feel like i'm I am something. And I'm not saying they're not. I'm not taking that away from them. But I, I would do, I would, I will do small projects until I am ready or feel like I am at a point where I am not embarrassed to show somebody, hey, I was in this. I have a few films that I hope never see the light of day. I do. I hope nobody ever pulls them up and looks at them because I'm going to be embarrassed. And that's the day I'm going to croak. But with that also being said, there isn't a single industry out here where someone isn't going to start something and be amazing at it. Like you can have natural gifts and tendencies, but you'll never be perfect at it. You'll never be the absolute best. You know, first, I would say even first three years you try. I think, I think almost all learning takes about maybe two, three years to really till you're finally getting something under your belt. And I think that goes with being an athlete. You look at these athletes out there. Yeah, it could be their first season. They're doing so well, but that's not the first time they're playing that sport. (laughs) Yeah. Years leading up to that. And I think it's, and definitely in your kind of space with content creating YouTube, podcasting, I think a lot of people, they don't know what happens behind the scene. They only see that final product. And Mm -hmm when we're behind the scene, we're always learning how to get better. Even with acting, you're trying to get better. What can I do differently? Getting that advice from someone. And I think that's the part that I feel people need to know more about and show. And if athletes do that same thing and say, oh yeah, I don't have to go to the gym. I don't have (laughs) a facility. kids, even younger people are going to listen to those words and be like, oh, I just have to get out there on the field and I will be a star. But Mm -hmm. I think if these people are being real and authentic, I think more people will show the hard work it takes to get to where we are today. And I think that is basically 
what we're missing right now. And in the age of social media, we only see that final picture, but what happened two minutes before that picture was taken? Yeah, exactly. Everybody wants to shoot like Steph Curry, but nobody wants to practice like him. I'll tell you that much right now. Freaking, exactly. That's a great point. Social media is is the embodiment of, look at what I did. You're looking at it for two seconds. This took me 10 years. I'm not going to tell you it took me 10 years. Not a chance. And even with like this van life stuff, like I, I remember when I first moved into the verb and I was like, why aren't they saying it sucks sometimes? It sucks a lot of the time. Sometimes it gets really cold at night. Why is nobody talking about that? Or yeah, t- to your point, transparency is missing. And, and I, you know, another big one is I finally found, there's probably a handful that I found in my, in my, my search on the gram of like bodybuilders saying they're not natural. And I have way more respect for a bodybuilder coming out and saying, Hey guys, I take steroids. I still work out hard. And these are the things that I like techniques I found that work, but I take steroids. There's a lot of dudes on there that take steroids and give these false ideas for teenagers that they're going to have this shredded ripped body even if they did work out three hours a day not as ripped as that you're not on trend you're not taking the big t well it's like those fitness commercials in a way they get the people (laughs) that are already shredded and stuff but they think oh well i'm gonna look like that after this short amount of time because he looks like that but that Mm -hmm. has gone through a whole transformation to get to that and it's just it's the fitness industry is just the hardest part because it's all basically they're showing what they're doing now people think oh i'm gonna look like this but then it's people are like well you lied to me well yeah these people have been working out for 10 years and they finally their work's paying off in a way yeah and i've seen a lot of it uh, with uh entrepreneur content and that's been frustrating me like nobody's business we got you know like a 28 year old 29 year old who's like yeah my net worth's at like 10 million i got these amount of houses and they start creating content once they have all those things which is fine that is a good thing and they're inspiring people but they don't really talk a lot about the journey of yeah i i ate top of ramen for the first three years until i sold my first house and then i or bought my first house or whatever it is and yeah, I, I, at least from the podcasting perspective, the content, anything that's almost like documentary-like for myself, I hope I portray, uh, I'm a normal guy trying to figure out stuff and I'm going to get it wrong a lot of times and I'll tell you I'm getting it wrong and here's some things that I've gotten right too. So if I, if I end up making an X amount of money, I'll probably tell you exactly how I made it and I'll probably tell you all the mistakes I did and I'll probably tell you it really sucked. Don't do this. Or... Or even if they said, hey, this is the work I had to put in and you can or you you don't have to do it because you don't have to be a millionaire if you don't want to. Or if you do want this, be prepared to know this is this is no easy task. I don't I'm I'm tired of seeing the falsities of I got a Lambo. I got a Ferrari. I well, tell me how hard did you work for it? Is that least do you own it? What's going on? So more transparency for sure. Looking back at your journey, is there anything you would have done differently that would have maybe brought you to a different outcome right now? Yeah, I think um, I, I had a friend that went on a parallel path as me out of, out of college. So, um, he got a degree and he also wanted to make the trek to LA, like jump straight into the creative field. And then I was like, I want to pursue this this nine to five to pay off this debt. And I think that could have been a route I could have taken. Um, I'm not saying it was better or worse, but jumping straight into the industry all in, you know, and the only thing I would have ever known is the industry, mm-hmm. which could have been to my advantage. You know, I could have met a lot of people who were struggling like me straight out of college who grew to be great artists, actors, filmmakers, what have you. And that could have changed the trajectory for sure. However, in either one of those routes, I would have had to have gone all in without any fear. And I think that would have been the big difference in whether that would have been 
a successful, if not more successful route or not. Because I'm sure that's scary. I'm sure that's a really scary thing to do. We haven't talked about family support, and but we talked about your friend support. How has your family been with your journey so far? They've been very supportive. I've been I've been lucky. And I, I think I should also mention that my mom has been I probably get a lot of my work ethic from my mom. She's always been a really good example of putting in the hard work, not being deterred by challenges and things like that. And I and I am also very grateful to be supported and feel like they believe in me because that's a game changer. Like I feel like a lot of times there's this weird self-conscious thing that I have for myself. Like, man, I wish people wouldn't believe in me so I could be like, oh, I'm going to show them. But really, I've had I've had a great support group behind me. My family has really encouraged the creative side of me because my my brothers and sisters, they're not in creative fields, really. Um, and they don't they don't say it as though, you know, you're 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 in a worse position for long term success X, Y, Z. It's always been like, yeah, like we think you can do this. We're 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 here to push you forward. So I haven't had any problems with my family on that end. Thank goodness. Talk about what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, personally and professionally? Ooh, I hope to put out a financial personal finance course. Uh, consider, I mean, I feel like I, I, I finally have some stripes. Is that what they say? Is that what people say for credits? I got, I got stripes to my name. I don't know. I feel like I finally have some expertise. That's that not a saying. Cars or some, but I'm thinking Bowskars. <laughs> that's like you're like the trenches. And got <laughs> I got the the war. They got the yeah. You get what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I'd like I'd like to put out a financial course for people to take that are hoping to get out of debt and and get some financial freedom. Um, I would love to quit this job and go full time with podcasting and all the other creative avenues. Um, but above all, I think my biggest goal as I, as I move forward is trying to figure out how to be a better man, because as I've stated this whole time, and I hope, I hope, I'm sure it's apparent to everybody work, workaholicism has, is, is, it takes a big sacrifice and, and I see it in areas with my relationships. And I also see it, see it in areas of just being, more like a better person. Like, like I think my integrity would be better if my integrity was on the forefront of my mind. I think if I spent less time reading about business and self-help and more about maybe how, you know, what would God want for my life or, you know, how best to serve other people, I think I'd probably be in a better shape to be a better person. So that's something I don't have a set declared goal. I don't know the I will be X type of man by X date. I don't know what that looks like yet, but one of my achievements is maybe achievement would be, be the type of guy I would hope kids would look up to. Cause that's really the whole point of, you know, the media that we make is to impact others. That's one of them. A lot of times goals, people have a hard time thinking of them, but they kind of have an outcome that they want to happen. And you kind of mentioned, it's more about the personal growth in yourself and being the best and I use this from my college days to be the greatest version of yourself. And yeah. you learn each and every day about how you can get better. The final question I'll ask you, based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give someone that's listening to this interview to overcome challenges, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Hot dog. I would say write them down. Write your goal down, whatever you want to do. And then find your why you're going to do it. And I think that takes a, a couple questions to yourself. Like, let's say you want to be financially free. Why do you want to be financially free? So I can have more money to spend. Why do you want to spend more money? And then you go down the list and then maybe you find out you really want to buy your parents a house someday because you love them. That could be enough of a motivator for you. Um, I think if you pair the owning what you want, you know, your goal and why you're going to do it. And losing the fear and the self-consciousness and the self-judgment that we often have of like, why would I even want that? Blah, blah, blah. Get rid of it. Stop judging other people. And that means you should stop judging yourself. And you should give yourself the freedom 
to chase after those goals no matter what. So lose the fear, get really clear on your goals, and don't hold back. I guess those are the big three. Oh, and maybe have faith that you can do it. Stop, stop, stop talking yourself out of stuff. Know you can do it. Pray to God. Ask for strength. That's what I would say. Well, Nicholas, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. Your journey and experience inspires so many people, and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you, Alex. My goodness, you are a wonderful host. I can't say it enough. I, whoever's listening, leave five stars. You hear this guy, I might, geez, questions. Ugh, you're great. Thank you for having me. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.